Bill is kind of sick today. So if there is coughing, give us a bit of slack. Bill's very ill, uh, just, to, just to let everyone know. <laughs> just <laughs> Thank give, you, Edgar. Just to give heads up. Um, anyhow, <laughs> do you want to continue uh, with your uh, going on about how everyone loves Bill? Okay, so uh, there's a thing I wanted to run by you, Bill, that I couldn't quite ham-fist into any of our um, well-established segments. I'm just going to throw it at the top of the show. Uh, <laughs> okay. And that is memes, right? Yeah, like, I've been noticing an uptake in memes on the internet recently. And it, it has occurred to me that a certain type of meme is like, is, um, is like conlang in gold. And it's, it's the meme that is kind of like that feeling when. And you know, there's some like funny thing that we're all meant to be like, oh, I get that feeling, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. it's like conlang and gold because these the whole like industry of these memes is that there is no word for this phenomenon. And so I've been like looking through all of these and with like in one afternoon, I think I picked up like, I don't know, maybe somewhere around 10-ish ideas for new words in other languages. So... That's um, pretty sweet. Yeah, it's a pretty cool idea. Like, you know the whole thing about, you know, when you're on public transport and ever, and you're really bored, but suddenly you remember a really embarrassing moment uh, from your childhood and it sends, sends shivers up your spine? Like, that deserves a whole word. I'm going to be honest. That's not a specifically public transport related phenomenon in my mind. Oh, I only ever get it on buses. Hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe buses are a particular boring period for me and my brain's just like going through the vaults trying to look for something inter- interesting and goes oh yeah do you remember that one time you did this terrible thing and you're like oh god brain stop um <laughs> but there's no word for that and like memes as conlanging fodder i think is a really cool idea so i just wanted to bring it up and put it on the podcast um and i wonder has anyone is this a new revelation or is anyone else stumbled to call this? Surely someone would have been like, this is, would have taught exactly like me, you know? Um, I'm not, I have never heard of anyone doing this from a kind of conlanging point of view. But there is a book by Douglas Adams, you know, who wrote uh, Pitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and mm-hmm. all that. Um, a guy called Douglas Adams and another guy called John Lloyd. They wrote a book called The Meaning of Lith. The Meaning of Lith. Yes, L-I-F-F. Okay. And it's, as, as, and it's been a while since, since I read it, but it took place names and came up with definitions for what they could mean. And they were all real things. And I, I think part of the justification was they've got all these, you know, words which are place names sitting around just being used as place names, not actually doing any heavy lifting in the language. And then we've got all these concepts that we don't have words for. So why not use the place names for these concepts? Um, and one of them was like, you know, when you find like the, the, the kind of white gunge inside a fork when it's only kind of been cursorily washed, it hasn't been properly washed. What's, what's that white gunge called? There isn't really a name for that specific thing. So we found an unpleasant sounding place name somewhere and he paired the two concepts. Huh. Yeah. Oh, so this so this gunge could just literally be called Dublin and that's the extent of the thought there. Just marry, un, uh, marry unnamed concepts with place names and that's it. Yes. Huh. But like, they're all, like, it's really funny. 
that's really interesting. All I really know about Douglas Adams is Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy. I don't. I've never heard of anything else he's done. Um, he wrote he wrote that, and he wrote uh two books um about a, a holistic detective called Dirk Gently. Um, that they're they're very good. It was it was adapted into a, a TV show last year on Netflix, and I, I watched the first few episodes, and I thought it was really really poorly cast and poorly conceived. But I I might give it another try. What do you think of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the film? I haven't seen it. Okay, all right, because that that one is is a weird one for me. I don't entirely like it, um, and possibly because it's so English. Remember we talked about my whole the whole my dislike of the English aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. it's very English. Uh, and I think in my head, when I read the book, it was less English. Um, right. so when it translated into movie, movie form, it was kind of like, oh, no, this is a bit, I don't really dig it, but I like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's really cool. Anyhow, mm-hmm. memes, memes as conlanging inspiration. Try it out, listeners. There <laughs> are some pretty hilarious things you can come to, uh, and it's really fun. Uh, so the the second point I need to bring up before we kind of do follow up proper, this is kind of a follow up point, but you know, um, is the TEDx talk. We were meant to talk about the TEDx talk last month, the big reveal that it is now on YouTube, and I utterly forgot. And in editing, <laughs> and in, and in editing the podcast, I was like, why is this podcast only like an hour and a half long? Like we we had more than enough to talk about. And then I was like, oh yeah, you left out the big like elephant in the room. The, the TED talk. So, uh, top of the show in this one, the my TEDx talk is now up on um, the TEDx uh, YouTube channel. I'll leave links in the show notes for people who want to go check it out. I'm pretty sure most people in Artifexia, though, would have already seen it because this, I posted it on the world building subreddit and it like skyrocketed to the top of the subreddit. Like, thousands of upvotes so right now uh, that video is now in the most upvoted uh, posts of all time on the world building subreddit which is oh no way yeah which is phenomenal like it's particularly from like a business sense it's really good for me because um whenever i find a new subreddit i frequently just go to all time sort by top just to get a mm-hmm. feel of what the community like on a global level likes and the fact that i have a post in there um, is really, really, really cool. And I, I just want to thank the internet for all of that. So if you have not watched the TEDx talk, go check it out. Links in the doobie-doo. If you have and you upvoted, thank you so much. This is such an achievement. I'm so happy. And I always wondered what it would feel like for those internet celebrities got let, that got the thousands of upvotes. And surprisingly, it feels rather normal. <laughs> It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's like any other post. You know the thing where it's kind of like, when you're a kid, you're kind of like, I wonder what it's going to be like to have, like, thousands of euro. And then you grow up and you're an adult. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is kind of, like, standard. Um, Oh, well, that's rent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is rent. Like, oh, that may get me a computer. Whereas a kid, you're kind of like, oh, my God, it's like this mystical land of just rich people, those people with thousands. So it was a very weird, like, feeling experiencing all those upvotes. But anyhow, TEDx Talk, YouTube, and thank you to Artifexia and the World Building subreddit. Yeah? Yeah, thanks very much. Um, Okay, so follow proper. Uh, yeah, there's a, a few a few things um, I want to, to bring up. I've got an email from Seth Warburton, who's doing a project, I think in school, um, about the, the plausibility of life existing in 
liquid methane or liquid ammonia um, as opposed to being based around water and carbon as far as I can, can figure out. As opposed to, sorry, using methane or ammonia as a solvent instead of using water as a solvent. Um, and the question is, have we put any thought into what life that uses these would look like? How might it be vastly different to life on Earth? Um, I really, I mean, that's so far beyond my, my knowledge. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic question. And it's a fantastic concept and one that uh, we could definitely run with. Okay, so I, um, I have points here. Yeah. First point, this guy's in school and he's doing a project like this. This is crazy. This oh. seems like like degree level stuff, like to be thinking about these things. I think so. He's described it as an extended project qualification, uh, which is a, a qualification you can do alongside A-levels in England. So, huh. yeah, I guess he's he's in his final final years of, of school in England. Well played, Seth. Well played. Um, that's the first point. Second point is that uh, there is a good uh, summary of what would happen um, if life used methane and ammonia as a solvent in the world-building book uh, that I often plug, The Writer's Guide to Constructing uh, star systems i'll leave links in the show notes buy that book seth it's really 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 good and it goes through exactly what you want tldr uh i'm not i, I can't remember all the details but the sort of upshot of all of this is that uh if life were to emerge with these solvents um it's because of the environmental constraints that all of this uh implies you're never really going to get any sort of technologically advanced civilization it's always going to be like Stone Age level and worse because, you know, things like you can't burn stuff in that environment and all this sort of things. It's it's so much more detailed in the book, by the book. Um, Again, links in the show notes, but that's the standout point I remember from that book. Just being like, oh yeah, carbon-based life forms can have computers. Everything else, probably not. Um, so you could have intelligent life. You could have, like, life as intelligent as humans. They just wouldn't be able to develop as much technology. Okay, so I, I think the wording he uses in the book is very kind of iffy. Like, if intelligent life were to arise, he I don't think, I'd have to read it again, I don't think he makes any conclusions that, yes, that is entirely plausible for intelligent life to arise in these scenarios. Um, they're quite speculative as is. Uh, so yeah. I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to put on the podcast being like, <laughs> life can almost certainly evolve in a like in a ammonia solvent environment because that's we don't know um but yes if intelligent life were to uh, arise it, the limitations of the environment will not see them go on to develop uh to be a technologically advanced civilization mm -hmm. cool, cool. Uh, anything else uh the next one was uh we got an email from Patrick Hildeman. Patrick Hildeman. Yes. Uh, who is from Sweden. Hey! And he wanted to, to tell us about various kinds of uh, cultural costumes, I think. Uh, or sorry, the folk costumes of Sweden. And that these uh, costumes people wear, kind of traditional wear... Uh, contain a lot of information about the person wearing them. So you can tell uh, where they're from, like what province or possibly what specific town they're from, whether they're married, what social status they have and things like that. And he's got a, he sent us a, a link 
or he sent us an image uh, with some examples of these costumes, which I guess we could uh, throw in the show notes or something if anyone else is interested in it. Cool. And uh, yeah, that's that's really cool, and that's, that's something I think that people should think about when developing their uh, con worlds and then developing their their cultures within their their settings. Um, it, it, it's quite fertile, and it's something that that you can really uh, think a lot about and get a lot out of. I think we do have that ourselves in broader Western culture. Do we? Not maybe to the same extent and not conveying the same information, but the way people dress does tell a lot about them in a lot of ways. Oh, okay, yeah, but I feel like uh, the Swedish example here is that it explicitly does so, whereas in the Western world it's... Or as in, say, we'll use Ireland, for example... um, it's not explicit. It just so happens that, say, I don't know, uh, black hoodies and new rocks imply that a person is, you know, in the alternative group at school or whatever. But it's not. That's not the explicit intended purpose of those clothes. But maybe it is. I don't know. I I, I see why it feels like there's a difference, but I think you know because we're going to be blind to a lot of how we construct our own culture anyway because it's an unconscious thing. Um, so it, it is different, but I don't know how it's. I don't know that it's terribly different. No, no, I agree with you. Not terribly different, but I feel like it is different. I feel like if if a person in so well, yeah, it's encoding different information. Yeah, it is encoding different information, and also I think it'd be. Uh, how, how, okay, the analogy I think of here is that if a person in Sweden were to learn about this clothing, they would learn in textbooks in school explicitly stated, oh, like this item of clothing is used to show that you're a smith or whatever. Whereas we're not going to learn about clothing in school. We're not going to learn the same thing about our clothing in school. Do you know what I mean? I would be surprised if that was the case, that you'd explicitly learn it in that in that way. Really? But like you learn explicit stuff about like folklore in Irish schools. You know, it's part of the culture. Yeah. You learn about your culture. And if, if that's its explicit role, um, you will learn about that role. Whereas you're, you're not going to learn about that um, in with other forms of clothing because that's like a secondary purpose. The main purpose is to cover yourself. But like the fact that it makes you uh, black hoodies and new rocks puts you in with the alternative group is a yeah, secondary but, I mean, the, meaning. The primary focus of the folk costumes is also to cover yourself. Yeah, no, that yeah. yeah. The minute I said that, I was like, oh god, Edgar, he's gonna he's gonna mention that, of course. All clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Anyway, the, the, there's a whole there's a whole thing there. Um, and uh, yeah, just I, I think that's a thing to be aware of if you're if you're talking about clothes within your world building. That you know, usually they they serve a social function as well. They they tend to portray some kind of information, whether that's conscious or unconscious. Um, there there is other information encoded there. If you're you know making a statement that you're part of this social grouping, whatever, however it's grouped, um. Or, you know, it's where you're from or what football team you support or whatever. There, there's a lot of uh, associated things in there. And there, it's, it's rarely just as simple as this is clothing for my body. Yep, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, yeah. And we've got one more email uh, from Ethan Price. And this is a bit of a throwback to episode three. Oh God, that's a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago, um, where we challenged listeners to come up with 
non-verbal, non-written language systems, which is, a, I admit, was a pretty tall order. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it was. And I, I think we, we got one or two at the time, but this is, this is an absolutely brilliant one. Um, I'll, just, I'll just read out quickly mm-hmm. what, what he's written. Do you all have memories of when you were a little kid and you were fascinated by the sounds you made when you slapped something? I remember being about five or six and being absolutely enraptured by the differences in sound when I slapped my stomach with different hand shapes or slapped different parts of my body. Hypothetically, this could be turned into a fully functional language with a maximum of two, or more if the society is alien and has multiple sets of arms, uh, a maximum of two sounds at the same time. A possible syllabic structure could be a single fluid motion, say if you hit your calf, thigh and torso all with one motion if the leg is raised, or a single sound. Or so on. Um, now that's an absolutely brilliant idea. Uh, I really, really like this. That you've got, I suppose, sonic body language, um, audio body language, auditory body language. I, I don't know how to, how to, how to audiated maybe who's the right word here. Um, but you're using like corporeal sounds to to communicate. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really I'm really fascinated by this. Uh, what I like about it is it's still it's still audio, so it still relies on on the sense of hearing. But it was a really neat kind of uh, hole. I didn't say a non-sonic language system. I said non-verbal, and so it's it's come up with this. Um, and also. I, I like the idea that you could have a s- simultaneity in the language. Like, you, if you use both hands at the same time doing different things, uh, then those meanings can modify each other, and they you know they happen at the same time, which is impossible in spoken language, but is a feature of sign languages. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the only the only difficulty I see here is that I imagine different people's bodies would make very different kinds of sounds, and so. The, the gradation of someone hitting their the center of the stomach and say their right flank would be those two sounds would be less different to each other than you know, that same person hitting the center of their stomach and someone else hitting the center of their stomach perhaps uh, different people's bodies would make different sounds and that I'd imagine that would make it hard to to have kind of a cohesive language between different speakers or Slappers, I guess, would be the, the correct term in this case. Um, but yeah, no, I just thought that was a really fresh and a really uh, uh, innovative idea. So nicely done, Ethan. This this is a really good idea, and I like it, right? But just mm-hmm. to play devil's advocate, is this perhaps... It strikes me like this is not really an auditory language just for the points you raised there about like different parts of the body may not be so different. Uh, and you may not be able to distinguish like what the difference in sound between a calf being hit and a thigh being hit may not be all that great. So mm-hmm. it strikes me like this is a visual language. Like when you see someone sitting there hitting their calf and their tie, you, you use that to gain the information. Like it, it, stri- it strikes me yeah. like the sonic element is probably going to fail. Like, and also you're not going to be able to use that sonic element over distances, um, because 
body parts don't make that loud a noise but you know visually you can still see a person a mile off i reckon this is probably primarily a visual language and secondarily it comes with sound so you you see this as a sort of a full body sign language yeah yeah almost and it just kind of happens to Hmm. make sound um i I see what you're saying but ethan's proposal here is entirely based around the sounds that are made Hmm. that's like that's the fundamental thrust of of the of the suggestion yeah yeah no like it it would work i think it would work well in close quarters i would have reservations about how well this language would work at a distance but you know in that being said languages aren't perfect um you know like lots of languages don't work at just i mean like sign languages probably have a limited visual range that they can work in Mm -hmm. exactly yeah um but overall that is a cool idea isn't it and and props to the person for listening to props the name what's the name again ethan uh, props to Ethan as well for uh, listening to episode three. <laughs> I wonder, is Ethan <laughs> actually, a new viewer? Uh, only found about artifacts seen a few weeks ago from or world building. Uh, I wonder, is that because of the TED talk? And only found out about the podcast yesterday. Oh, oh, welcome, mm. welcome on board the good ship artifacts you Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that's a seriously cool suggestion. Very, very, very cool. Um, yeah, cool, awesome. Anything else in the mailbag? That's everything in the mail. Okay, so we do some Reddit. Let's do some Reddit. I have a few things to uh, bring up from the Reddit uh, before we get on to Nalamo feedback. Uh, the first one, just two small points. Um, the first one is someone <laughs> brought up uh, the question about what does crack mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And that is crack in the non-narcotic, fully Irish sense of the word. And um, this person proposed a meaning of crack uh, on the subreddit. And I just wanted to just bring it up with you, Bill. What do you think crack is? I gave a, a lengthy answer to this on the subreddit, Edgar. You see, you see, it does require a lengthy answer, but I'd like to hear it on air because I think it's quite cool. It's good-natured fun, uh, such as that you might have, you know, in the pub. Uh, but it's also more generally fun with friends in it kind of it could be take place anywhere anything enjoyable and lighthearted could be called crack i think would be is the the fundamental idea here yeah um as i said you might describe pokemon go as good crack because you know it's it's fun and you go around and you, you know you get out of the house and it's enjoyable and it's nothing too serious or heavy you see now that seems like a really that's a really uh neat way of summarizing it right and it it always blows my mind that people find it so amazing that we use this term crack to describe, you know, just the good times, having the crack, <laughs> so to speak. But like, do do any other English-speaking countries not have the equivalent? Is there not an American equivalent for crack? Like, how, how do Americans uh, define that feeling when you're with a load of friends and you're just hanging out and just having meaningless fun playing Pokemon Go or something? Is there no word for this? Do you want to hear something uh, heterodox and iconoclastic, Edgar? Uh, that might get me in, in trouble with a lot of Irish people. Oh, oh, okay. I don't know what those words mean, but the second part there about getting in trouble with Irish people is really good. You <laughs> plow straight into this, Bill. Um, it's an English word. No way. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's only been used in Ireland for I think since like the fifties. No, no, like, it's it's quite it's quite recently imported into Ireland. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now we're talking about crack. How are we spelling crack here? Well, this is the other thing. Mm. It was spelt C R A C K, and I think I think it was used in like Northern England, um, and it had not exactly the same meaning, but it was I think it had kind of fun and also gossip. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's all on like online dictionaries and and stuff. If you look it up, um, it was spelled C R A C K. And then in Ireland, it's spelled C-R-A-I-C, which is a sort of an affected hibernism or an affected Gaelicization. But I, I actually defend that because it makes it clear when you're using it in written language that you, you mean this Irish kind of usage of it, that it means fun and lighthearted enjoyment as opposed to a fissure in something. Oh, um, but it, so it came from England. Okay. Yeah. Question still stands, yeah. though. Is there an American equivalent? I, I don't know. know. I want to know from the subreddit. Is there an American equivalent? Because all the words I can think of to describe that feeling that aren't crack, I don't think Americans would say this. Like, I would use banter. Yeah. As well. Banter's not exactly the same. No, no, it's not exactly the same. But it's as close as possible I can get, just thinking on the fly here. Um, but yeah. I, I, I can't see Americans, you know, saying... Oh, I hung around with loads of friends, and it was really great banter. That doesn't yeah. strike me like they would use it. So I wonder, what do Americans Good use? Good times. Good times. How very imaginative. <laughs> um, crack is a glorious word. I love it. Uh, it's at least it, it's it's my favorite thing about being Irish. The fact that we have that word. It's just so wonderful, and it just sums up such such great emotion. It's just brilliant, and the fact that it's it also sounds like crack is is hilarious. And I love the mix-ups you, you get with people when you're like, oh, that was good crack. And they're like, what? And you're like, no, no, no. AIC, AIC, it's okay. Uh, anyhow, the meaning of crack. That was uh, one thing I want to bring up. The other thing I wanted to bring up is just really, really quickly, because this could go down a, a rabbit hole really fast. Um, the albedo thing. I promise this will be the last we ever hear of albedo. Okay, just stick with me artifacts, yeah. Uh, I I have no complaints. You what? I have no complaints. You've no. Well, that's good. Uh, the uh, the the last show I talked about how if the angle of incidence is low, the reflect reflectivity is high, or the amount of reflected light is more. And this blew my mm. mind. And a one redditor, a u slash link. Uh, I can't read the text. Link eagle and zen. That's it. The text is too small in front of me. Um, pointed out that this is due to a thing called the Fresnel effect. And the Fresnel effect is essentially saying that the lower angle, angle of incidence, the higher the reflected light. Uh, this person links to a um, Blender tutorial. And for those who don't know, Blender is this piece of software that you can use to um, composite 3D images and animations. It's a, like It's like... A step up from After Effects in terms of Super Pro um, sort of endeavors. And I want to thank this it's, it's Redditor. It's 3D modeling, isn't it? It's, it's 3D modeling, yeah. It's 3D modeling. Yeah. Um, I want to thank this Redditor because they brought me down a YouTube rabbit hole. And I watched so 
so many Blender tutorials because of them. Nothing to do with albedo or reflectivity. I just watched lots of Blender tutorials and I really <laughs> want to download Blender and I really want to get into this. So a little project I have in the back burner is to learn how to do 3D modeling. Um, and if I can like incorporate tr like proper 3D animations into a future video sometime, that would be like amazing. But it seems like it's a mm -hmm. really weird world to get into if you come from a uh, 2D motion graphics. But anyhow, thank you to that Redditor and thank you for uh, finally putting to rest this albedo thing and why this happens. Um, so yeah, that is th those are my two points. Do you have anything to retort? And if not, do you want to crack on with Nalamo? Um, well, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about the feedback for Nalamo. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I got a great response to what I wrote uh, for the last episode about warfare in Nalamo. And I'm getting, a, I was I got exactly the kind of responses that I was hoping for. My intentions were pretty much received as I'd hoped. That some of the, like the parallels that I had intended, you know, between uh, Tesha and the the story of uh, Shaka, were clear. But it wasn't seen as a direct parallel. You know, it wasn't just like a, a total copy of of his story. Um, uh, Coolmare, the user Coolmare, uh, picked up on how King Tesha is spelt with an ogonek, the little tail below the E, to indicate nasalization uh, when it's it's written down by Enlami characters. But the envoy, who's from another land, uh, just spells it Tensha, that they don't uh, get the, the subtleties of the nasalization and the pronunciation, and thus they spell it slightly differently. I totally Which I was very happy that. by. I was, I was kind of worried that people would think I had like retconned it or made a mistake or that they wouldn't pair the, the, the two names together. But apparently my intentions are, are clear. So that's, that's really good. <laughs> that's amazing. I completely missed that. That's amazing. Well done to you and the Redditor. That's class. Um, a, a few other questions. Uh, what was the situation of cavalry in Namo? Which is something I didn't mention. Uh, it's not really very common is, is the short answer. There's some places would use it to a certain extent, but uh, horses aren't particularly widespread in the region. It's uh, all so it's used. It's all multi-tusked elephants. Um, no, they don't really use war elephants much. <laughs> oh, the, the Lord of the Rings reference? No, no, no one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the olifants. <laughs> the olifants, exactly. Um, uh, so there's, it's probably used on a, on a small scale by certain groups, but it's not widespread. It's not. It's not a, a significant tactic. Okay. Hmm. Um, is one it, or two others? Is this is what? this um, is this deliberate because of the whole like you're drawing influence and influences from like sub-Saharan Africa, or is just you're mm. not bothered about the horses? I just I hadn't put that much thought into it to be honest. So okay. I guess I just I hadn't conceived of them as being a, a significant element of the area. Okay, cool. Um, someone uh, user fizz six uh, said that what I proposed, and especially with the par the parallels I made to kind of line versus column infantry in the Napoleonic era, would make a lot more sense with our artillery our firearms and arrows wouldn't necessarily be the most effective way of, of achieving the, the the desired um impact on the army the the enemy army and that's that's a perfectly a perfectly valid 
uh, criticism. Um, I think I can just about get away with it, given the circumstances of what I described, and I'm not using this as like a long-term kind of game-breaking tactic. It's just it worked for the duration of a number of campaigns over a short period of time against diverse enemies, uh, rather than being something that, you know, locked down an entire continent for 25 years. Right, okay, you're not giving it, you're not giving this tactic, uh, like, almost borderline magical powers to solve everything in, in, in terms of story. Um, it's no, a, no, absolutely not. It's not like this is the one thing that, you know, yeah. makes him win every battle. It's not the only tactic that Tesha used. He didn't use it all of the time. Uh, it didn't work all of the time, but it was, you know, one of the things that, that made him uh, ascendant and made him uh, victorious against the normal warfare of the period. And to be fair, you, you just wanted to talk about Napoleon, which is perfectly fine. That's not entirely accurate. It was it was one source of inspiration. It's also not entirely and inaccurate. He, he, no, not entirely inaccurate. It's somewhat inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> and he, as I said, Napoleon didn't invent that. It was just you know, the it was the way the French fought at the time. He he just used it a lot. He's the, the most significant uh, proponent of it. Uh, I ad- would say. Adorable side note. I just want to put in here really quickly. It, it was Napoleon's birthday recently was it was that the thing you yes, shared yesterday from the day of the day of recording it's the the 15th of august it so, was his 248th birthday so adorable side note here bill was on social media uh highlighting and celebrating this and it was very it was very very nice to see <laughs> your man <laughs> napoleon <laughs> and edgar decided to take because I, I, I put up um, a picture on facebook of the the famous portrait of Napoleon in his study at Tullier. Um, it's you, You'd recognize it if you saw it, I suspect. It's, it's one of the famous ones of him. He's, he's not wearing a hat and he's kind of standing by a chair with his hand inside his jacket, as he often did. As he Edgar often that, did. Yeah, in, in most of his portraits, that's how he's, or in a lot of his portraits, that's how he's portrayed. With his oh, hand in his jacket. Okay, it just seemed like you were so pally with Napoleon there. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything about Napoleon. He often had his right hand in his pocket. <laughs> uh, no, no, it was like in, in the, the, the front of his jacket, like in between the buttons, closing up the front of his jacket. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, Bill. Yeah, come on, Edgar. <laughs> um, anyway, Edgar downloaded this uh, portrait and photoshopped my face onto Napoleon. I would never engage in illegal downloading of portraits of Napoleon and altering them beyond their original intent. That is, I would never do such a thing. There's nothing illegal about that, Edgar. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, that was fun. I just wish that the, uh, the image of Napoleon you had was more high res. Uh, there was a lot of pixel <laughs> fighting to get your face onto Napoleon's face. Um, so many times Photoshop is like, cannot merge, cannot merge. I'm like, oh, just, and I can't write to you and be like, hey, Bill, do you want to supply a slightly higher res image of Napoleon? Um, and I wasn't bothered getting I mean, you my could have just Googled, like reverse Google image searched that portrait and yeah. found what the portrait was and yes, gotten a but, higher res version of it. But Bill, I was, I was meant to be making a video at this time, right? So I wasn't going to dedicate any more time than necessary uh, to do this. <laughs> like, that's no excuse for second-rate tomfoolery. Oh, oh so um, good. I've got one more thing to say about Nalamo. Yes, sorry, tangent, go on Nalamo. <laughs> which, which I meant to in- actually include in uh, either what I wrote last month or, or what I spoke about in last month. 
Um, it it has been said that uh, Handwavia and where you know the the setting Lamo is based in is uh, magical and, and a, a fantastic. It has been said that Handwavia, you know, the setting that Lamo is based in, is a essentially a, a fantasy setting or a setting with fantastical elements and magic is part of it. Um, and I wanted to to say that magic was not used on the battlefields of Lamo. They didn't have like battle wizards or battle mages or anything like that that would be you know maybe a sort of an analog to things like artillery and firearms. Uh, that's not a feature of Enlamo warfare. Hang on, that calls into doubt the piece you've written this month. No, it doesn't. Oh, there's going to be something to, the to-, to talk about. Uh, okay, so that's a really nice segue into the main topic. But before we do that, could I just drop uh, a really quick um, mention and then we'll go straight into the main topic and I need to try and figure out what's going on now. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really quickly, uh, I've discovered a new podcast um, called Myths and Legends, uh, links in the show notes. I don't particularly like this podcast. It's just it's just not for me. The, the aesthetic doesn't work for me, but it is going to be great world building fodder for someone listening here. Essentially, it's, it's one guy talking through various myths and legends. Um, so you don't need to read all the terribly worded, archaic nonsense that it comes from um so he's like the first few episodes he deals with arturian legends and the second the second thing is about aladdin turns out aladdin not from uh, the middle east aladdin was actually from china the character or the story the ca- well, the character and the story i might get that wrong but definitely one of those two things and also the oh. the, the, the the lamp or whatever it wasn't a lamp it was a ring which is also interesting um, so I think that's a great place for people to get their world building fix myths and legend podcast go check it out that said okay. shall we move I, into the, oh sorry go on I, I had <clears throat> I had in my head that Aladdin was an Iranian story about a, a Chinese character who travels to the Middle East so it's kind of <clears throat> you know, it's kind of in between and, and he goes from further east to, to further west i don't know where i got that it was just kind of that may well be the case one of the reasons why i don't like this podcast is because um there's something about the rhythm in which the information is delivered that i find it hard to retain the information um so it may well be the case that this was said but the the, i and i also listen to podcasts while i'm doing other stuff so i'm not 100 percent attentive um but the, the take-home point I took from just having that episode waft over me was that there was some component of um, Chinese stuff going on, which I didn't know about because I'm only really familiar with the Aladdin uh, myth through Disney, you know? Yeah. So, um, so anyhow, good world-building fodder for people. They, sh- they really should check it out. As always, Bill has written a piece of prose about Nlamo, um, and would you be able to give a TLDR of what you've written, written so we can get quickly to this point about not using magic uh, on the battlefield? Because the last paragraph you have written of this piece implies to me that they do use magic in one form or another on the battlefield, and I don't know what's going on now. You've undermined my entire worldview, Bill. I need this cleared up. So as I implied last episode... And a few people seemed to be eager to, to get to this. Uh, what I've written 
this month is the envoy arriving at Tenshah's capital and encountering the king and his court. Mm-hmm. And it's a... Uh, go, go read it if, if, if you, you haven't read it. Um, but it's just a, a brief description of the, the capital, Zahamo, and who, what the people who, who are members of the court and the, the embassy meeting with the king and his advisors. And they have a, a great feast to, to welcome the embassy. And after the feast, as the envoy is returning to his quarters, he is set upon by the king's chief uh, advisor and companion, the the judge and priest, Matway. And mm-hmm. Matway has seen into the envoy and understands their true purpose in Nano. And he uh, scares... The, the the he frightens the envoy and and tells him that you know terrible things will happen if they proceed with their invasion and their trickery. And I guess what you're talking about here is in the last the last paragraph the the envoy is writing. I'll, I'll read the last last paragraph out. Yeah. Um, my spirit was shaken by this meeting. I momentarily believed that I must advise against the invasion of this country. Such was the shock of Matway's actions and the gravity of his words. Our expedition must be prepared for spirited resistance and bitter conflict, as I have previously written. But furthermore, we must prepare for the use of magics and crafts unknown in our own lands. The Enlami will not be conquered easily. Right, does that not imply that they will use magics and crafts if the uh, conquerors try and conquer? Yeah, but that's not the same thing as using battle mages. Okay, now are we def- okay? How are we defining like magic in warfare here? If we're defining as battle mages, then no, I I don't agree. But surely th- th- there it implies like magical espionage, which is a military yeah, tactic, s- isn't it? Stuff like that. But what what I was saying earlier, I was I was clarifying that they don't use it in a way that would be analogous to artillery or firearms it's not like you know mass destruction walls of fire okay 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 so yeah it's a, a lot more subtle use of magic basically yes the magic would be more would be more subtle than or this this is what this is what the envoy is writing this is what the envoy believes yes. uh, so whether or not they use magic at all is who knows but the envoy is scared enough well i know well, you, that's right, you, and you know. <laughs> okay, so to back up, now that that point's clear, uh, cleared, to back up a little bit, um, you've been watching Game of Thrones recently? Bit of Game of Thrones I going on here, no? I have not been watching Game of Thrones oh, recently. This, this reminded me of uh, Martin's writing, uh, and it reminded me of um, your one, the I Love the Lord of Light one in Game of Thrones. What's her name? Melisandre. Melisandre. Yeah, Melisandre. Um, it, it strikes me like the, the magic we see in this piece of prose is very Melisandre-like. Any okay. any inspiration there? No? Not consciously. Okay, because I, let me read out a bit here. That, was, that reminds me exactly of Melisandre. It, it goes, uh, The priest opened his mouth as wide as a mouth can open, and then further, and the shadow inside his gaping jaw seemed to grow and overpower all the senses I possessed. Um, mm-hmm. 
That seems... You remember that scene in Game of Thrones where uh, Melisandre bursts a shadow? Um, yes. It's very reminiscent of that. Um, that was messed up. That was messed up. This is less messed up. <laughs> but it was very reminiscent of that. And that's not a bad thing. Like, I actually got, like, very vivid imagery when I read that. So I thought it was really cool. Um, cool. And the second thing that reminded me of Game of Thrones is you you're, you were dancing around food pornography, which I loved. <laughs> the way <laughs> the way Martin does in his books. Uh, you wrote, A number of cattle were freshly sa- slaughtered in honour of our embassy and served alongside spice soups, loaves of boiled grains, stews of many vegetables and the meat of an elephant. And it was really close to just like a, a few more items on that menu and we would have had like George or Martin style food pornography. And I was like, yes, go Bill. <laughs> you know, I never noticed that when I read... Uh, a Song of Ice and Fire. Maybe it's just because I like food, so it just didn't really bother me. <laughs> I mean, I noticed it because I like food. Like, it doesn't bother me. I think it's great. <laughs> like, he would go on. But, like, like, have you reread them at all recently? No. Okay, I, it might be worth rereading them because they those paragraphs where he's going on about what's, what's on the tables at banquets, they go on for a while. Like, there are... His lists are long and extensive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyhow, the can I talk to you a little bit about magic? Yes, specifically magic here. Now I realize the answer to all these questions are going to be, uh, we don't know. Uh, you'd have to wait until something else is written. Uh, but I'm going to try and. <laughs> well, get... I can talk a little bit more freely about Handwavia than I than I will about about uh, Janspar. So that's true. So at least at least it's it's this setting, not the other. Uh, so what what sort of magic happens here? And what what are we what are we not going to see uh, happen? Like we're not you, you've made it clear that we're not going to see battle mages firing yeah big like flame missiles at everyone. Um, so w- what are we what are we talking? Um, I'm kind of going for something a, a little subtler. I'm not trying to make it. Like Dungeons and Dragons, where your wizards can can shoot off spells. If you look at a lot of things, like if if you look at Lord of the Rings, a lot of the, as I recall, a lot of the magic of Gandalf is is quite subtle. He 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 does sort of small things in the background and it's it's like little, little tricks and like little things become easier for other people. And it's very rare that he actually does like big grand magic. You know, I suppose when he fights the Balrog, there's some of that. And when he turns up at, as Gandalf the White and, you know, it's, it's a bit apparition and when he charges into uh, Helm's Deep. But a lot of what he does that is magical is kind of on a, on a smaller scale, but has a big influence. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. And I, I, in a lot of ways, I find that more interesting to write about than clearly indicating all of the all of the powers and making them like everything is is large and grand and clearly understood. You know, if magic is a little bit more mysterious and a little bit more occult, or a little bit more esoteric, then that can be a lot more fun in in certain ways. And I, I guess I'm I'm trying to 
tap into an understanding of magic, a historical understanding of magic, that was something that that people didn't really understand and that happened in the darkness and away from normal vision. That And it was tied up with, you know, in, in a lot of places it was tied up with poison. You know, like the, for example, in the Bible, um, ter- apparently terms could be translated either as witch or as poisoner. Because if you think about it, they're not hugely different concepts if you don't know anything about poison. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in some places it's tied up with medicine. Yeah. So, and if you don't have a clear delineation of the concepts in your mind, then you know magic can can be a lot of things that would otherwise be mundane. Um, and that's that's a lot more interesting to me than having we all understand you know all of this real materialistic uh, reality and existence, and then there's this like flashy supernatural magic on top of it. I mean that 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 absolutely one hundred percent has its place. But for what I'm doing with Lamo, this this kind of subtler, slightly more ambiguous approach is a little more interesting to me. I fully agree. Um, I think that's a good call. Uh, have Have I ever talked to you about the fan rumor that the the Force doesn't actually exist in the Star Wars universe? I. Th- I think you've mentioned it. I'm not that familiar with it. Though. I think we've mentioned it on the podcast, but it ra- reminds me of that where you have this like magic system, and if you look at it a certain way, it can just be explained away with like sleight of hand or little tricks or like potions and poisons and all that sort of thing, and that makes it far more compelling, uh, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and just far more intriguing. Um, yeah, so I think you made the right call there. That's that is a good idea. So in a, in answer to my question, then if I can put words in your mouth slightly, you don't really know what can or can't be done, but it's bounded by this idea that uh, it's informed historically and doesn't have this sort of like overpowered supernatural thing to it. Yes, for the purposes of uh, Nlamo and for the purposes of this story, that's definitely the case. Handwavia. Yeah, as as we this does take place in in the Handwavia system that we came up with a while ago, that I came up with a while ago, and we we, we discussed, which has a lot of uh, planets in a lot of different areas, and you know, Handwavia itself is an entire planet, and things could be different elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Actually, I know that things are different elsewhere, um, but for the purposes of this story and the purposes of this area, that's that's what I'm doing here. Are are you making this this stuff up as you go along, or has this have you got loads of things in the back burner? Um, I know. I have a decent idea of the layout of the continent that Lamo is on. Okay. Um, I know a good bit about the planet. Otherwise. Um, I haven't I haven't nailed a lot of things down, but I I know I know a bit, and I have some concepts for the rest of the system. Okay, but these pieces of prose they're just done on a monthly basis. Um, I've I had for a couple of months now the idea that it would it would end with 
the envoy arriving at Zahamo, uh, Tenshah's capital. And I think for maybe a month and a month and a half, I... Actually, no, for about two months, I I had the idea that it would uh, end with him encountering the 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 chief the, the priest and judge and, and having an encounter along these lines oh so is is this over is this the last we hear from the envoy no more i haven't written no all of Baruch. his no more Baruch. this is terrible i haven't written all of his reports though i mean there's there's stuff in between um visiting Chapa. Like, there's stuff in between visiting Chapa and visiting Zahamo, and there's stuff before he got to Kappa, so... Oh, okay. Will we ever hear... So, I, I might go... Go on. So, no, no, you go on. I might go back and, like, slide stuff in between. Will we ever hear what happens when he arrives back in his capital, or his country? Which is named Which is in this n- extract. It's, it's true. Uh, Katere? Katere? Katere. Katere. Um, Katere. Will we hear anything from Katere? Will we hear anything from... It's possible. It's... Oh, I hate the way you do this. It's so annoying. I haven't... Des- oh, no, I just... I haven't decided. I haven't decided. Um, okay. Perhaps, like, he might, he might go back and... He who is as thunder may not be pleased with him. Um, oh, well, he did... He's done a good job. What's what's he done wrong? He's done a lot of scouting. Yeah. I mean, like, that's filling up the job quota, surely? Hmm. Yeah. Um, Maybe he was... Oh, I know. I know. I'm going to start come up concocting stupid scenarios that imme- that in editing I'm going to be like, Edgar, what are you talking about? Like, why why are you even saying <laughs> these things? So I'm just going to cut myself off and just you know get ahead. You stay ahead while I'm ahead. Um, the is there anything else you'd like to add on that? Because my main points were the Game of Thronesiness and then the is there magic in battle? Um, no, I think that's I think that's about it. Let me just have have a quick cast your eye over here um, can i jump in yeah sure do you want to tell me about this uh this line here his heir his heir oadan a sort of O-Adan. nephew to the king oadan a sort of nephew yeah. to the king so what's going on there his heir is a nephew is there some is there a story yeah. behind that it feels like that's not just a stupid bit of trivia it feels like there's something happening there not really uh tesha doesn't have any children of his own Oh, right. Okay, so he's just next in line, basically. Yeah, um, and Oadan is his half-sister's child. Oadan is his half-sister's child. Yeah, so, so yes. his half-sister, they share a... Damn, I did, I did work this out before, I think. <laughs> um, they, I, they, I think they, they share the father... And the this the son of, of his half sister is is Oadan and um Tensha has kind of raised him and and trained him and groomed him towards being his successor. Um does the succession go to next eligible male? There's there's no such formal thing about it. Um okay. because his kingdom is a sort of a first of a, a unified Nlamo. Um I mean I guess he, he probably is referring in in some way to his the the traditions of his clan. And I guess that would be 
I, I kind of conceive it as being something like the old Scottish system where you have to be of the same kinship group. But that's, I mean, it's it's that that's the fundamental thing. It's more complex than that, and there's a kind of leeway within that. But it's not just it does, direct, it direct oldest, next, whatever. No, okay. no, it's, it's not just it goes to your son automatically. Okay. Or you know, it. I mean, and it's it's not restricted to men. Okay, so just in the group, huh? That's cool. Yeah. Cool. That's good. Although he himself took power he was not uh eligible for power under those rules tensha was not yeah because you write here about his upbringing yeah and he he doesn't come from a royal lineage yeah no he's he's from a, a reasonably comfortable but like humble modest background he worked hard and he just they, he lived in the lamo dream you work hard enough and you make it you make it in life you know <laughs> you work hard enough and you become you can become a brutal military dictator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, he's not brutal, but you can become, you know, a, a, you can you can conquer the the, the country through violence uh, and diplomacy. Dictator? Is he a dictator? Well, in in the sense that any monarch, I suppose, whose rule is legitimized through force is. I mean, like he's not a bad dude by any means. He's a pretty good dude, but you know, by modern standards, he's a military leader. He's a bene- It's a benevolent dictatorship. Yeah. It's cool. I like it. Um, yeah, cool. Is there anything, any other points in there that are pertinent that I'm not pointing out? Um, I don't think so. Uh, there's a few. There's a few more things I've I've hinted at here, and a few seeds I've I've left for further reveal. So look, we're definitely not done with the the story of of Namo. Um. Whether whether the envoy will will continue to be a player as it develops, I don't know. Ooh. But we we've, we're going to hear more from what he previously sent back. Cool to Kateri. I I look forward to it. It's good. I'm becoming. I'm genuinely actually becoming engaged with this. Like oh, good. I find myself going. I wonder what Bill has written this month, and I'm really looking forward to his piece of prose. It's good. Oh good! I almost didn't didn't write this. I was almost going to do something else, and I, I just I couldn't figure out what else to do. And I was like, no, I need to, like, and this is like a really big because I've been thinking about it for a while. I want to like do this right, but I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with how I've done it. Jesus, Bill, if you don't write something, we don't have a show. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, writing something, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote a thing. You wrote a thing. I wrote a thing because I was like, no, genuinely, I was, I was really engaged with your stuff, and I was like, I want to have a go at writing a thing. Um, this is going to be in the show notes. Uh, can I just warn everyone straight up front? It's not very good. I'm not a very oh, good writer. Edgar. No, it's not very good though. It, like, you know, and I love the way like I was like, oh, I'll write a small little piece like Bill always does, and then Bill delivers like this big two-page tome of a thing. A two-page tome. <laughs> a two-page tome. Right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I I'm I'm not confident in my writing skills. I don't believe I have any writing skills of note. But I decided to write a thing because I thought it was fun, um, and I sent it to Bill. And uh, do you want me to TL the artist, or do you want me to ask you what you think? Uh, up to you. Okay, I'll okay I'll t- um, all right, TL the or for this story. It's in the show notes, and it'll probably be on the subreddit and early release and all that sort of jazz is that um, there is there is this character 
who is asking a computing device about uh, stuff that's going on um, in this world and uh, specifically around this place called Onikara Prime. Um, and the computer brings up this whole load of information about Onikara Prime, a planet. Um, and then the this character listens to what the computer has to say and then tells it to stop and move on to something else. Mm-hmm. That's essentially the boring TLD orbit. But I tried to do a bill and build something into it. So did, what did you get from it? Are my intentions I got, clear? I got a lot out of it. Oh, good. Do you want to explain? Um, th- there, was a, there was a couple of things I liked. Um, so first of all, you, you've got a nice framing device here. That it's not. It, this isn't just an info dump. You've got the framing device of computer. What's all this talk about Onakara Prime? That's your opening line. And so that kind of immediately kind of sets up that this is being... It, it kind of gives you kind of meta information about what the text is. Yeah, yeah. Which is always interesting to me. Oh, thanks. Um, and so then, you, you know, you've given, you've given the information uh, and then at the end, it's so a computer end, next news story, please. And, you know, again, that's like, you know, that this is one thing among many, which for me, it gives us sort of an idea of like richness and there's other stuff to be, to be heard here. Hmm. Which is you know very very small things, and this is maybe more in the vein of like talking about writing rather than talking about world building specifically. But you know you can't fully decouple the, the topics. So. Agreed, agreed. Um, I'll have a read over this. I'll pick up bits that I liked. Lacox uh, region of space. Okay, this this is what I liked originally. Onakara was thought to be very home like, and the word home there is capitalized. To me, that suggests that it's uh, a setting. Okay, well, actually, there's a couple of things here. But for me, that suggests it's a setting with humans, but without Earth. Or that, for whatever reason, Earth is named home. Um, that, was, that would be my first reaction. Uh, and then secondary, I was like, wait, who's saying that this is humans? It might not be. Mm. Um... Which is, you know, again, very small detail, suggesting a lot of possibilities. Um, and then you talk a bit about the kind of the development of the planet and the scientific and technical details that are your forte. Yep, <laughs> I can't help um, but make tutorials. <laughs> that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And now, okay, Onakara Prime was the first planet visited by human probes, so we are dealing with humans. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. And you give a number of, of names here. Zan 1, and then what I assume is the year it was visited, 3002. Yep. Is that is that correct? Am I, am I getting that right for your intentions? That, that, is, that is the year, exactly. Okay. Uh, so we're dealing with a, a future or a, a, perhaps a different chronological system. But anyway, uh, Zan 2 in 3008 and the Makalo Zan Lander. 2011, the first two data collection missions were successful. However, contact was lost during the final phase of its mission to land on the Onikaran surface. The data gathered by the Zan flyby mission seems to suggest that Onikara is inhabited and given the environment inhabited by silicon-based life forms. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what solvents do you reckon they use? 
Uh, the 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 sulfur. The sulfur. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay. So t- to explain. Oh, giving rise to the brinous seas of sulfuric acid. So sulfuric acid is the kind of the universal, uh, like solvent of their life system, rather than water. Uh, okay. Now, okay, okay. Before I explain that, this is basically lifted from the world building book I re- mentioned earlier. Oh, okay. Uh, so I didn't invent this like system or this planet or anything so you just need to if i get facts wrong sorry um the i I, i'm not necessarily sure it's sulfuric acid per se but some sort of sulfur based solvent okay because the entire planet is a sulfur as opposed to an oxygen based one gotcha as opposed to an oxygen although the atmosphere like it says is oxygen yeah um, so that's the solvent. Uh, this is, remember, um, was it Seth earlier? Yes. Yeah, this is the thing uh, I mentioned to Seth about uh, his ammonia and methane-based thing. This is from that same chapter. So just it, by complete coincidence, um, we've kind of been thinking about the same things, which I think is pretty cool. All right. Um, cool. <laughs> so, so so this this system you're describing is from the book. No, the system's mine. All the nomenclature is mine, and the setup's mine. But the like the 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 chemical analysis of the planet is oh, okay is from the book. Essentially, the chemical it's, basis. Is it's from kind the of around that way of describing what a sulfur planet uh, would be like. This whole idea of like the quartz mountains and rubies and sapphires and things like that. These are all like in bits of information taken from the book. Um, yeah. So for those who don't have the book, I wanted to give them a glimpse into what this book kind of tells. Seth read this piece of prose <laughs> um so would so when you're saying you know uh, rubies and sapphires um would they be as as common as like granite then here or would it be more likely to be as common as quartz or coal or whatever uh they i don't know uh, how common each of those things are but um the, the chemical makeup of rubies and sapphires is, is I think it's corundum is, is what it's called um is particularly stable in a uh, sulfuric acid environment so they would be okay. there would be a lot of them this is why I pointed it out um so yeah gotcha. there would be a lot and they made all they don't need to necessarily show up in gem form um but it just sounded more fantastical to be all like you know these mountains of quartz littered with rubies and sapphires everywhere so you know cool. And finally, the the last thing before the computer is interrupted is the fully manned Makalozan Lander 2 is due to arrive at Onakara within the next 42 days. And so there you know, a nice little hook for for more to, to say about this. Oh, okay. So that, so you've missed the point of it. That's interesting. I, I ran this test by the captain as well, and she too missed the point of it. So I think this is a failure in my writing. Okay. Um, the the actual point of it is okay. The, the sort of primary point is to talk about how a, a sulfur planet would exist and all this sort of jazz. Um, yeah. But the secondary point is a commentary on how we consume media. I was wondering what. Oh yeah, that that did occur to me. Yeah. So the, the like for those who haven't read this, the whole idea is that this but character that wasn't. I didn't think that was the intention. Oh, that was very much intended because it's like it's been a very crazy week in media and i had that was on my mind i just wanted to talk about how people mm-hmm. uh consume media in a sort of in a very disposable manner so for those who mm-hmm. uh, uh haven't read this basically the character asks his version of like siri 
to tell him about Onikara Prime, this sulfur planet that's in the news, because they're going to go visit it. Um, and then the computer starts reading him out, reading out essentially what is a Wikipedia page. And then just after it says the the like the lander, like humans are going to make contact with this planet that has silicon-based life forms, where another probe like mysteriously went AWOL. Just as the computer says that, the person kind of goes, ah, I'm bored of that. Just next next story, please. Um, mm-hmm. So it's meant to be a commentary on like the disposal way in which we uh, which we consume media with a hell- heavy dose of let's info dump how planets work. <laughs> uh, so I, on a writing front, what do you think? It's okay, I, I mean, don't know. <sighs> yeah, no, it's the, the, there's, there's nothing I would like hate about this at all it's 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 well put together um yeah and as i said it it evokes all of these things okay maybe i need to be more confident about my abilities yeah. to write i don't know um i always I, I we've talked about this on previous podcasts but i find the idea that people can write just being mm. borderline magic and every time i try and do it i'm always horrifically disappointed with the outcome so i was like this is really boring edgar um but there you go. Um, yeah, anything else to add on that? Um, like, if I was to be super critical... Mm, go for it. Yeah, no, totally. Lay it on hard, man. Um, the the formatting, or like the, the, the order in which the information is presented, <clears throat> I can't imagine exactly what kind of document this is. Oh. That would be like, hey, what used to be like, if... I was just say, hey, tell me about France. And the, the the first paragraph of the answer would be about like Charlemagne. Oh, like what kind of document would that be that would like you know build on, on the history that way? Um Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm no, no, explaining that well. Not particularly, because like if you go to a Wikipedia page for France, the first thing it'll say would be something like France is a country located in Europe. And my first yeah. line is, only Cara Prime is the first and only planet to visit by humans, blah, blah, okay, blah, Okay, sorry. Blah. I meant I meant the second one here, the, the, the hot spring planet. The oh, okay. Ext- yeah. Um, what, kind of, what kind of information source is this? But that's a very minor thing. Um, in a lot of ways, and it could be that you know the culture that this is taking place in values that kind of information, or you know, really this is the primary thing we know about it is the the speculation on its geological history, uh, or this guy's tailored news service prioritizes that kind of information. I was just about to say that, like while you were talking about that, I was like, well, what will produce this? Like a go- like a Google like algorithm, like they've searched yeah. science, like a hundred times in the past month or whatever and they've been like well they clearly want to see science so let's push all the science related bits up to the top of their feed um, yeah that could be it so, well, so so that would be my, my main criticism is like the 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 order in which the information is received i i can't conceive what this text is that is being presented by the computer but there are lots of ways to explain that what did you what do you think about the idea of the computer presenting like the wikipedia like thing but then the last sentence is in like the present tense yeah that that didn't that didn't jar me at all really okay cuz i was thinking about the idea of like a wikipedia who like intelligently updates itself 
to like keep up with what's exactly is happening like down to the moment. Um, and I thought Are maybe you, that as you said. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. Go on, go on, go on. Um, or as you said, it's you know it's it's an intelligent algorithm that has like learned this this human's preferences. So you know the first bit is Wikipedia, and then they get into the news, and then maybe further down, less interest priority, they'll they'll talk about like nearby regions or things like that. Yeah, yeah, easy explained away. Although they see this sort of thing bothers me because I'm kind of like, it's, I don't know. It's just writing seems like. Mm, I'm gonna offend writers here, but but uh, like not so rigorous thing. Like there is no correct right answer on how to write. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no kind of like one plus one equals prose sort of jazz. Uh, of course there isn't. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And this is what kind of bothers me. <laughs> and I'm always kind of like, oh, I, there is no right answer here. So what am I doing? And how? And all sort of jazz. But I'm. Well, I, I I mean I I don't, I don't think anyone's gonna be offended by that. Well, writers. And might also, be. everyone's all like, they're all post-structuralists now nothing actually means anything so it's fine they're all post-structuralists literary theory stuff oh I don't know I'm, I'm in over my head if, if I even actually even by making that joke so I'm not going to try and like explain it <laughs> <laughs> oh he pulled an Edgar he got out but he knew he was heading down the wrong road just pull out pull out <laughs> hard left hard left <laughs> uh, oh yeah well I'm I'm glad that you, you didn't think that was a disaster um, I don't like it, obviously, because everything I write, I don't like. Um, but it was an interesting endeavor, and it makes me appreciate what you do every month. It's very cool. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, we'll put it in the the, the show notes, both stories, so people can go check it out. Um, yeah, and I, I'll anyone... we'll be linking them on on the 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 subreddit before we launch the episode anyway so yep yep uh, and anyone who if you find any of the information in my story particularly interesting seriously go and pick up uh that world building book a writer's guide to constructing uh star systems um it's it's just a really good book i was in indonesia bill uh pretty cool how was it uh it was mm, on paper it was probably the worst holiday ever. Okay. But in reality, it was, like, incredibly amazing. Like, it was so good. Like, on paper, it rained the entire time. The air, the flights over were horrific. Uh, we stopped in Kuala Lumpur, which I've now come to know as the world's worst airport. Uh, just the getting there and back and then the weather was just terrible. But... That's on paper. In practice, it was amazing. Like, it's just paradise down there. Like, I've uh, I've never experienced almost, like, cartoon-level paradise before. It's crazy. Um, Edgar. Yeah. Did you find yourself? I didn't find myself. Did you know, do you know what? The captain was insistent, right, that we have to take pictures of me in front of various finding myself implements just to send to you. <laughs> Like there was, there was like. I am offended that you did not do that. I had no time for such nonsense. Like there was things like there was you could buy little Namaste signs, and she was like, "Can we buy a sign?" And then can you hold it? And we said it to Bill. I was like, "I'm not buying a Namaste sign. This is ridiculous." Um, no, I didn't find myself, um, but I had a great time. It was really cool. I have some idea, world building ideas sort of from Indonesia that I thought I'd just tell you about as opposed to just going on about like I ate this food or whatever I'm going to t- try and tie this into world building yeah cool yeah for sure okay so um, I'll start with probably the smallest one first yeah uh, interesting naming convention idea that comes from Bali mm-hmm. everyone has 
the same names, sort of. <laughs> There's like a list of four sets of names to choose from, and they are the only names available, which is fascinating. Um, as in given names, personal names. Given names, exactly. So it's the equivalent of like, uh, in Bali, I, I don't know the exact names though, but in Bali, like the firstborn gets to choose from the list or the parents choose from a list of firstborn names. The secondborn, uh, another list, thirdborn, another list, fourthborn, another list, and then it just loops. Huh. Yeah, which is really interesting. So we met tons of Wyans, for example, which is one of the names that are for firstborn. So you can identify where you fall in the family, more or less, from the naming convention. Now, uh, I, I, I don't claim to speak for Balinese culture. I get the impression that like um, this has expanded a bit with globalization and stuff, and people choose names outside of this. Um, but at one time, this was a strong practice. I think that's pretty cool. And the way the way of differentiating between the firstborn and the fifthborn is just to say another afterwards or again. <laughs> so it'd be like Edgar, firstborn, and Edgar, another, fifthborn. And that's just brilliant. And then they also have this thing where they don't really have second names either, but they kind of have qualities. So you'd have like Edgar the Thin is a, is a common thing or like Fat Edgar or smart Edgar. These are common ways of identifying. And the whole idea of like a second name doesn't seem to be all that prominent. Like people mm. don't really seem to care or seem to care at one time. Again, I don't know exactly what the culture is at the moment, which is another fascinating thing. And then there's this idea of there's a caste thing going on a little bit as well. So there's like naming based on caste, which is another level of kind of complexity on top of it. Um, so I thought that's a really fascinating idea that I just thought I would share with you and the listeners. That is pretty cool. It's very cool. Can I ask a, a clarifying question? Of course. So there's a list of possible names for firstborns. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's say Edgar is one of them. Mm-hmm. And then it loops around when you get to the fifth child. Uh, but like, would you say, I presume you wouldn't call them Edgar the second time. So you wouldn't call them Edgar again. You'd call them, say, Bill again. Is that right? Uh, or do you have to use the, the same first name? No, you don't have to. Again, I don't. I can't speak for all Balinese mm. people. I get the impression you don't have to. Wikipedia lists the example of Wyan and then Wyan Balik, which literally means Wyan another. So I get the impression that if people chose to have two Wyans, they would differentiate like that. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, the thing I do know is that there's a set of names and they are base four. Um, are they gendered? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, but that's very tenuous. I, I'm open to being wrong on that, but I don't think they're gen- gendered. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong in the subreddit, because I'll correct it next show, but off the top of my head, I don't think so. Um, and anyways, for world building, don't make them gendered. That's even more interesting, I think. Um, so yeah, just a little naming thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing is there's this uh, practice of putting out these things called kanang sari, probably pronounced completely wrong, but like these little offerings that um, people put in front of their like houses and workplaces. 
and I'm assuming this is an offering to uh, a god of some description um, and to get blessings from them. Um, this I'm going to steal and put in Takar. Because remember way back when we talked about Takar being based on Kiumbanda? Yeah. And the whole idea in Kiumbanda, like in the rituals, people would bring like bottles of beer and cigars and these like tokens to the gods. Um, yeah. This is this is a cool little thing I've experienced, and I'm going to put in my world building that people during, like, say, the injection of X or whatever, as a sort of relic from before, people would bring these little offerings in these like wonderfully crafted little uh, sort of um, trinkets is the wrong word, uh, little little items. I'll leave links in the show notes to pictures, and just seeing this like in real life. Um, kind of really set story ideas in my head. And there's a whole, like, these little offerings have, like, there's rules to how they're laid out, like certain flowers point in certain directions, like certain compass directions, and different materials symbolize different things to different gods. And it's, like, a fascinating thing. Um, and then tourists just trampled them on the street, which is just like, come on, lads, what are you doing? Um, oh. But that's something I'm going to take for my own world building. Hmm. Um, that's uh, point two, and the final one, the big one, is a. Uh, th- I'm going to tell you a story, Bill, about a mine in a volcano. A mine in a volcano. I was in a mine in a volcano. Presumably, there was a supervillain somewhere nearby. Um, no, uh, but when you're worried, but you put your old supervillain there. <laughs> okay. Um. So there is. It, this got me thinking about like how you know why dwarves are miners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone ever actually looks at what it is to be a miner uh, and and the the cultural context of being a mining culture, for example. It's just kind of like dwarves mine, and that's it. Um, I have some points to bring up about that actually. When you're finished, uh, could you want to drop them in now? No. Nope. No. <laughs> It's a long thing. It's a long thing. Okay, cool. So anyhow, um, I climbed a, a volcano, Ijin volcano on the island of Java. That and is so immensely dope. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We got to we we climbed into the crater, like the active volcano crater, and we got to see like the miners at work, uh, and they these miners work around blue fire. Like I kid you not. Wait, it's an active mine. It's an it's an active mine in an active volcano. What the hell? <laughs> well, no, what do you mean? Where's the what the hell coming from? Like, how is this even allowed to be a thing, yeah? That's that's mental. That's so cool. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, it is. It's really cool. Well, it's I was conflicted about... I mean, cool. it sounds like a terrible from, like, a labor point of view. Yeah, yeah. It, it's terrible from labor, and it's also kind of terrible that, like, all the white people, myself included, just show up there and kind of view miners working horrendous in horrendous conditions as yeah no, par- i have reservations about that undoubtedly yeah so like i and i realize i'm a hypocrite here because i engaged in that but i was painfully aware of just the different worlds that were going on right next to one another and that was an interesting dynamic to experience um yeah but anyway anyway, anyway we're getting derailed point being uh th- these miners okay no the volcano is um, an active volcano, and uh, in one particular vent, it oozes this blue fire, right? And this is because there is sulfur uh, bubbling up from under the surface. 
and mm -hmm. they what the miners do is they mine this sulfur um, from inside the crater and then haul it to the nearest town and sell it and that's what that's how they make a living um for this this pleasure they have to walk uh three kilometers from the town to the mountain up the mountain down like a 60 degree incline into the crater mine a load of sulfur without any protection and climb back up the 60 degree thing down the mountain and another three kilometers to where they sell uh, the thing and they'll make this trip about twice a day and for their entire day's haul I think they make something like uh, is it 13 US dollars and that's it Jesus yeah but that's considered quite good <clears throat> in the region and like yeah. th there's this cool idea of like th their conditions are obviously horrendous um, but they're we talk to some of them like they, they talk to us and things like that and I read up about them they're, they they seem quite happy in the sense that like this affords them a relatively decent lifestyle and above that a kind of cultural standing uh, not a cultural a sort of a a elevated societal standing in their in their towns or whatever so there's this weird dynamic going on that like people will put themselves through this because of what money and status and things and that's really weird and there's also like this um these myths that have sprung up amongst the miners that like if you smoke while inside the crater um it protects you from the sulfur cloud because you're inhaling the cigarette smoke and not the sulfur and like this whole like subset of these like uh, rituals and um things that they do and it's just really fascinating to see and um i realize i can't convey this very well on a podcast but i'm i, I may in fact write a, another story for one of the podcasts based around this because i think it's just mm -hmm. fascinating once you've seen it in real life it's really it's really um affecting to see this happen and again i just want to highlight the hypocrisy that i was like the white westerner who showed up and paid many multiples of what they make per day just for the pleasure of viewing it as a tour um yeah and that's, it, that's kind of uncomfortable isn't it it's an uncomfortable feeling um and if i oh, maybe if i had greater convictions i would not have gone but man was it beautiful though like it was just it was like mm. a once in a lifetime opportunity and never mind never mind the mining just to get on the mountain and watch because you do it at night you climb the mountain at night and on oh, right. yeah you and you climb into the volcano in pitch darkness like it's it's that's unsafe it's it's not safe and it's sometimes it's quite <laughs> scary <laughs> uh, but then you climb back out and you walk along the the rim of the volcano and you get to watch the sunrise uh, over the sea uh, onto java and it's just like it's incredible like it's absolutely stunning so that sounds uh, class yeah it was amazing part of me feels really bad that I was that person but the other part of me is kind of like I've experienced something I, I will remember for the rest of my life uh, fun, funny story oh, not funny story horrific story <laughs> the <laughs> the entire way down the climb into the volcano um, we were the, the cloud of like sulfur gas was blowing the opposite way from us and everything was kind mm. of fine like we were told to put on gas masks we were given gas masks the locals like either didn't want them or weren't given them. And that was another kind of like, sort of like, what's going on here, lads? Um, but we were fine. Uh, and then, like, we didn't even need to really wear the gas masks. But then the wind turned <laughs> and this massive cloud of like suffocating sulfur, sulfur just 
completely envelops everyone in the in the crater and like that was like uh, there was a moment there it was kind of like i'm not gonna make it i'm done this is this is it i'm gonna have to this is how i die this is how i die like no joke it got up in the gas mask and it was like very very difficult to breathe and like i was, I was heaving and the smell it just oh god and the miners totally cool with it they just sitting there there's one guy i was like i said to the captain right we need to go we need to just the the, the the advice is stay put and let the cloud just do its thing where i was like we need to move right now this is too hard to breed and then mm-hmm. we moved and there's this miner sitting on a rock there just chilling with a cigarette like a total like badass <laughs> and it's like and there's me like kind of coughing up my lungs like it's crazy um so yeah there's an interesting mining story to be had of that and there's an interesting way of looking at mining cultures and communities in a broader context um that rarely i think makes its way into our fiction it's just dwarves mine everyone's there swinging pickaxes it's all lovely but it's more nuanced to it and it's something i am going to look at in the future Mm -hmm. you had a thing to say um well first of all yeah i think i think you're absolutely right like mining is a serious um engineering undertaking it's it's a big deal and it's expensive and difficult um but my, my issue with uh with dwarves regarding regarding mining and and how, how dwarves are always miners in things um so, so you know they they what do they do they, they they dig tunnels right yeah and tunnels need to be shored up you need like support within these tunnels in most cases, as I understand, if you're building big things, mm-hmm. um, you know you, you need to have structures and, and supports within that. Um, certainly, when you're digging through soil, maybe less so in rock. And then, you know, what what do they what are they digging for? Like precious stones, precious stones and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also need metal, and they're digging for metal. Right? Right, yeah. I, where are you going so, here now? <laughs> like, okay, and dwarves live underground, right? And it's an entirely, like, subterranean thing. Yes. What do they shore up their tunnels with? What do they use to, like, process and refine the ores that they get? Wait, but hang on. How is this any different from someone who doesn't live underground? Because if you don't live underground, you get access to trees. Oh, and Dwarves you... must use huge amounts of wood. And as such, dwarves, as are portrayed in fiction, must have, like, a lot of contact contact with the surface world in order to get enough lumber to do hmm. what they do. And I've never seen anyone bring that up. Like, it takes huge amounts of wood to turn a small amount of ore into iron. That's a fair point. Are, are dwarves classically depicted as just being entirely subterranean? As I in, mean, they, they never, ever come out of their caves. I mean, like, Tolkien dwarves, you know what, that's like a 60-year-old concept, so, I mean, it's it's probably too early to say, but I think that's how it exists in a lot of kind of popular imagination, yeah. And I don't think Tolkien Ooh. dwarves were, like, shown as having a lot of trade with the surface in order to get the woods to do what they do. 
and in a lot of other kind of Tolkien-derived works, dwarves, yeah, they live underground. That's that's where they do their thing. But you need a lot of... I mean, I suppose they could use coal for some of what they what they, they would use wood for, but that's, I mean, that's a whole other thing. And coal is quite difficult to, to mine. It's in really, like, short, narrow seams. I don't know. It's a it's a thing I think would be worth 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 uh, looking into for some world builders. Well, that's a subterranean culture would need to have a lot of contact with the surface for a lot of stuff. It seems like a volcano would be the solution to this, wouldn't it? Like that's that su- that naturally supplies your furnaces. How do you work it though? Because you can't go anywhere near lava. How do you approach it? Like you can't stand next to lava. Well, I mean, uh, these miners were standing next to blue fire. Yeah, but, like, that's different to lava. Yeah, but you don't necessarily need lava. Like, surely if you have lava, then you're in a, like, active, I'm about to explode volcano. But if you have, like, fiery things, it would just be, like, a, I don't know what the word is, but, like, a semi-dormant volcano or whatever. But it would just have all the heat necessary to smelt things. That's that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder, yeah... Would like a sulfur, a natural sulfur fire, have the heat necessary to work metals? Hmm. I yeah. I mean, not not all fire is the same. You know, fire is a like different materials burn at different temperatures. But blue fire, um, I guess it could be a number of different things. But I know that a gas fire is is blue colored, and that's like way hotter than than a wood fire. So I don't know what it would be from sulfur or whatever it is that is being burned there. Hmm. And I suppose as well, think about mining societies, wherever you're, like this idea that, you know, any mining that goes on in the fictional world happens like dwarves mine. Like there's many, many different types of mine. Like I don't remember reading about a culture that only does like, say, open mining and things like that. It's always dwarven style mining. So just something to bear in mind. Oh, that's, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, um, there's obviously pros and cons of different things and certain different creatures. I thought when you said about like how do they uh, prop up their minds, like I immediately thought, wait a minute, dwarves shouldn't mine internally. They should mine externally. That makes so much more sense. But then you kept talking and my idea just went out. So, um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's also a point though. But yeah, so that was my trip to Egypt Volcano. Uh, just a slight plug. Uh, I don't really mm-hmm. like doing this unless it's in a video. Um, but uh, I've started an Instagram. Nothing to do, nothing okay. to do with artifacting at all. Just Edgar Grunwald Instagram. That's how you find me. Um, I want to take more pictures. I want to be a better photographer. And I figure if I tell people that I have this Instagram, and people, if they're so inclined, follow me, there'll be more an onus on me to actually do that. So I have a couple of pictures up there from uh, from Indonesia. So if anyone wants to follow. Um, uh, please do and hopefully they'll inspire me to take more pictures there'll be definitely some pictures of the lunar eclipse uh, the solar eclipse on it as well oh cool yeah because um, that's coming up soon isn't it that is coming up soon I am leaving tomorrow um, oh, right. for it yeah I am leaving my I have to leave the house in 8 hours oh okay <laughs> and, and I have not yet packed Good stuff. <laughs> Disaster. But yeah, uh, so if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram, I'll, I'll leave links. Um, sorry, it's a bit of a plug. I'm sorry, but I kind of want some public pressure to actually make stuff on this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so that's my trip in Indonesia. That is all I have for Green Room. Is there anything going on in your life? I, I had a couple more things to say about mining, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. I always do. I always cut you off before the topic is actually finished. 
I'm sorry. Okay, but now I can't exactly remember them. Hold on. You've just you've distracted me. Um No, it's gone. It's gone. It'll it it might come back to me some other time. Um Is there anything going on in my life? There is not, no. Um I'm just kinda as I said, it's been very cold here recently. I don't know why. It shouldn't be this cold in August. Uh I've been gigging and uh I did I did a little bit of work on Yanspar recently actually. Ooh, please tell. Yeah. So I've got more <coughs> I've got a more complete idea of the, the global geography. Cool, very cool. And I've I've changed a few things. Now I haven't I haven't shared a lot of this, so this may not be interesting to anyone. But I've changed a few things about the about the layout and I've redone all of the the biomes and uh, ocean currents and things. Oh, how come? So I've got a um because I found that a few things that I needed to change, um, a, a few things that I wasn't fully happy with how, how I'd done the last time, um, so I've, I've made it slightly better. And also, I, I uploaded what sketches, I, I, I put what sketches I had on my computer and compared them to uh, real world, the, the real world that we actually have. Um, and I had a huge desert that was like the size of the Indian Ocean, and I was like, that's a bit much actually so i just kind of changed i made i made some of the land masses slightly smaller to make them a little bit more manageable um so it's a little bit more in yeah. line with how i'd like it to be yeah but hold on hold on is is the planet bigger than earth because if it's if it is then bigger deserts are fine it's not bigger than earth it's not okay it's, it's not big. that's a problem there bill <laughs> an indian yeah. ocean sized desert <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was like, oh wait, like I, I when I had done it, I had kind of, well, no, it wasn't maybe not quite the size of that, but it was certainly like something approaching that kind of scale. It was like a, a, a massive, massive desert, uh, which is kind of like too big to actually be that interesting to me. Um, so I, I changed around some stuff like that to be to give me more options to 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 use things and to, to do stuff with. Uh, so I'm actually pretty happy with how it is now. Um, I came up with a. A kind of a, a list of my various disparate world building ideas that I, I haven't uh, consolidated yet. Um, so I might might uh, work on that. Uh, like hang one on, of them, hang I on. actually hang on, hang on. So uh, different settings or just like ideas for little biomes? Oh or no, like planets, like so. di- different settings and things. Oh, yeah. So okay. like n- new settings. I've got I've got a, a list of four here. Um, one of them I've actually mentioned to you before, which is just, I looked at cool stuff that existed in Earth's history, geologically speaking, and I'm going to put all of those together and not worry that much about whether they happened at the same time. So, like, Pangea with dinosaurs and Apple products? No. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> um, well, obviously, I mean, like Pangaea kind of contradicts a lot of other things. But say in the Cretaceous period, is it Cretaceous period? Anyway, oh, one yeah, of the dinosaur uh, periods. Who, who knows? Let's say Cretaceous. Um, there was like a huge sea running down the middle of North America. So, like North America was was two completely separate land masses. 
Um, and I was like, oh, that's that's really interesting. That's really cool. And I like that idea. And that got me thinking about it. And I was like, what other cool stuff like that, like big stuff, was there in in history? Um, Doggerland is pretty cool. I've always thought Doggerland was kind of interesting. What, what's this? What's this? What's Doggerland? Europe, uh, when the sea levels were lower. So before, like at the during the Ice Age, before the, the glaciers melted, uh, the sea level was way lower. And you could walk from... Ireland into what is now mainland Europe. It was all one landmass, and it's known as Doggerland. Um, oh. That 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 like extension that is now the Great Britain and Ireland. Um. Uh. So I you know that that's pretty cool that you could do that, and also like the Baltic Sea was cut off from the Atlantic Ocean because the sea level was lower. Uh, Copen or Denmark connected directly to Sweden. Um, the Bering Land Bridge is another. So, you know, like you could walk from Siberia to Alaska. Uh, so there's, there's a, a bunch of different stuff like that. Like the the Mediterranean used to be really really dry. There was a couple of very very low hyper uh, salinated mm-hmm. uh, lakes in it. Like the the Nile drained into like a like hyper salinated low sea, which was cut off from the Atlantic. Uh, so I've just like stuck all of those together. I want to keep looking for more, just to kind of make it kind of like our world, but different enough to to be exciting. Okay, so explicitly, it is our world. It's not just these ideas taken and transported and placed on other land masses that don't look like Earth at all. You're you're doing like a a weird alternate Earth anachronistic geology of Earth. Okay. Oh, well, that's cool. That's pretty interesting. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's in a lot of ways, it's 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 kind of silly that you know I've got something from the Cretaceous period existing alongside something that was only like ten thousand years ago, but I don't care. It's it's for fun. Yeah, and if it's interesting, it's fine. Like, yeah. it's fine. and if you get if you get joy, um, out, it's all good. If if people are if the listeners are interested, I might uh, work on a bit on that for next episode. Oh, cool! I'm interested. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, I might, I might do that. Then I'll see what the, what the response is from people, if they'd like to see that, and I'll I'll upload it, and they can see what of the changes they can see. Cool. What features they can identify. But uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, cool. no, that I've, sounds I've really got cool. very very little very little new happening in my life. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I'm I'm out of 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 stuff to talk about. And uh, the captain just texted me and was like, "Can I come back home now?" Um, yeah, I should probably. So maybe, home. maybe, maybe we should wrap it up. Let's let's leave it there. Uh, have a fabulous time in the states. Will do. Hopefully, anyways. At, at, um, at hopefully, all goes to plan. Yep. Yeah, thanks, man. I'll, there'll be pictures there, and I'll talk about it. Don't worry. I I will I will check your Instagram. Hey. Um, <laughs> the what was I going to say? Uh, this oh, just a quick thing to the listeners. The last like th- two or three episodes have been pretty short, mainly because I'm in Korea at the moment and I have to kick the captain out to do these things, and I don't want to kick her out of her own home for like hours on end. This should mm-hmm. be the last of the fairly short episodes because then. Cool. The next time we record, we will both be in Ireland. So cool. we we can resume our normal recording schedule. So if anyone is worried that like things are really short and just feels weird or something, normality will resume hopefully next month. Yeah. Cool. 
All right, Bill, it was a pleasure as always talking to you, sir. A pleasure as always. And I will see you next time. Talk to you soon, man. Edgar out. Edgar out. Thank you.